Before I uh, get into the message today, I, I just wanted to make everyone aware that in our first service, we had a, a lady that um, ended up having a seizure, um, and her name is, is um, Jennifer, and her, um, her, her uh, husband is Eric, and if you would just continue to pray for Jennifer and Eric, I've not heard any updates um, regarding them, but as a church family, we just can continue to, um, to lift them up in prayer, and I'm going to just start by praying um, for them right now. Uh, Father God, I just, um, we just trust you that you're in control, and God, I, I lift up Jennifer, and I pray uh, for her uh, complete healing recovery for those who are treating her right now, that you would give them the wisdom um, that they need. For Eric, I pray, God, that you would just uh, calm um, him and give him your peace um, and strength in this situation. Um, God, we love you and we trust you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been... Um, We've been in reading through this letter um, that was written by the Apostle Paul, and, and, and one of the unique things I think that we miss oftentimes with the way that these letters would work in the church is these letters um, wouldn't just be read one time, they would be read over and over again in, in these small communities that usually met in houses, um, and, and the way that Paul starts this letter is just a reminder to these early Christian believers of all that God has done for us, and and the reason I think that Paul writes it that way is just so that every time this letter was read, people would be reminded of what God has done for us in Jesus. And, and just as it was true for them then, it's just as true for us today that we need to be continually, continually reminded of all that God has done for us in Jesus. It's one of the reasons that we celebrate communion each week. And so if you hear nothing else of what I share today, I hope that you will listen to and latch on to this, that we would be reminded of this amazing thing that God has done for us and how much we need this work that Jesus has done for us. That we, all of us, every single one of us have been broken by sin. We've, and, and what that means is that, that our relationship with, with sin is that it broke a relationship that we had with God. And God put into effect a plan to come to us in the person of Jesus. That he took on flesh. He became human. And while he was fully human, he was also fully God. Being flesh, he limited himself. He willingly limited himself, which meant that he would endure many of the things that we experience now in this life. That he experienced pain and loss and suffering, that he lived a perfect life, and then he willingly and unjustly died on a cross so that the debt of our sin could be paid, and then three days later he rose from the grave, conquering death, and he did this so that we could have a reconciled relationship with God, and then God offers us this, all offers this to us freely, which means that there's nothing that you and I can do to earn this. There's certainly nothing that we have done to deserve this, but all we can do is accept it. And the way that we accept it is we put our faith in Jesus. We trust him, faith alone, in Christ alone. And when we do this, God gives us this amazing new life in Jesus. He, he puts his spirit inside us. He forgives us of all of our sin, the sins that we have done, the sins that we continue to struggle with, and any sins that we would do in the future. 
And the Spirit, His Spirit inside us continues to work on us and refine us to make us more and more like Jesus. This is amazing. When I was younger, I had this limited understanding of what Jesus' death and resurrection meant for me. I was focused on or what I would listen to or what I heard was that this was a ticket to heaven. Meanwhile, while I'm and, and meanwhile, while I'm waiting for that day to come, I'll do my best to live according to the rules until I die or Jesus comes back again. In other words, Jesus came so when I accepted him as my Lord and Savior, I could go to heaven one day. Like that was what I believed. And while this is true, when we put our faith in Jesus, we do have the promise of life after this life forever with God. It's just not complete. Here is the complete truth. Jesus came so that we can have a new life that we are able to live now and forever. How we live this new life in Jesus is what Paul then spends the last half of this letter describing. He, he spends very little time, almost no time at all, talking about heaven or the hope in heaven, but he almost exclusively focuses on how we live now. Most of what Paul has described so far has been in broader or general terms about you know, how we relate to one another within and without the church and, and, and the fact that because of what Jesus has done that we're free from, the, from living the way that we used to. We're no longer captive to our misplaced desire to make it all about us. But in this next section that we read, it's like Paul zooms in on specific relationships and specifically those within the home. Before we read the next section of Scripture, I know there are many different opinions on how spouses are to interact and relate to one another. There are also many or more different opinions on how we are to relate to and raise our children. Some here have been in horrible or abusive marriages. Some have had marriages end differently than was planned. Some have children who have gone their own way and you still wrestle with the question, where did I go wrong? Some have been raised by abusive or absent parents who left deep wounds and no good example to go from. Some have heard a distorted version of this section and are going that we're going to read today, which has led to a controlling and unhealthy marriage. What we're going to read and talk about today is not intended in any way to trigger bad memories, dredge up feelings of inadequacy to point fingers or make judgment, nor is it intended to heap on guilt or shame. Rather, my hope and prayer is for us today to see the beauty of the design of God for the household relationships and how the gospel reshapes those relationships. Those of us who have put our faith in Jesus and are now living in him have a new way of living and relating 
to those that we are closest with. My hope and prayer for those who are exploring what a relationship with Jesus is all about is that you will be able to see that what Jesus has done for us on the cross can transform the relationships with those we love the most. My hope and prayer for those who are struggling in your relationship with your spouse or with your children is that God would begin to work in you and through you as you trust him and surrender to him to reshape your relationship into what he had originally intended it to be. One more preface before we jump in. There's so much that we could teach out of this passage this morning, and I have very limited time, so we're just going to talk, talk about general principles. For those of you who are married or thinking about getting married, I would strongly recommend attending the Vertical Marriage Seminar. We are offering next year, Saturday, January 20th. Wendy and I have been through, as have a number of couples here at South Point. Please use this as a way to invest in your marriage. Don't think this seminar is just for people whose relationship is in trouble or needs work. All marriages take work. None are perfect. And this is an excellent way to allow God to make your marriage even better. If you are in a blended family or thinking about becoming a blended family, on Saturday, February 24th, we are offering a seminar called Blended and Blessed to help navigate the unique complexities and blessings blended families can have. And parents, I would highly recommend going through the Art of Parenting seminar that we're going to offer two times next year, one in June and another one in November. I wish I had gone through this when, I, when my kids were younger or even when they were teenagers. It is some of the best material I have ever seen. Please invest time in learning how to be better at one of the most important roles that God gives us. So let's get into the passage today. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Paul writes this, he says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, 
Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the husband see that she respects her husband. Now some have interpreted this passage to say the husband is boss and the wife just better get in line. But that's not what Paul is writing here. If you're following, if you were following along in your Bible this morning or maybe on your phone this morning, you may have noticed that Verse 21 and 22 are separated in two different sections. And when Paul originally wrote this, he just wrote it in sentences and paragraphs. The sections weren't there. The verses weren't even there. And sometimes because of the way the Bible has sections, it's easy to misunderstand the context of a particular verse or a passage because of these breaks. In the original Greek language, this, the verse 22 reads as follows. The wives to their own to the own husbands as to the Lord. Like that's the literal Greek to English translation, which on its own makes absolutely no sense. However, when you look at verse 22 or 21 and read it together with verse 22, it says this submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to the own husbands as to the Lord. This one another Paul is referring to are husbands and wives. Both are to submit to each other. Wives to husbands and husbands to wives. God designed the marriage relationship to operate out of mutual submission. Why we are able to submit to one another is built on the foundation of the gospel. What Jesus has done for us. That's why it says, out of reverence for Christ. The idea of reverence is this deep respect. There is no one more worthy of our respect than Jesus because he has died for us to have this life. God has demonstrated his great love for us, his goodness and his grace through Jesus. We can trust him, which is another way to say that we can Submit to him, to his will and his ways. We, we first submit ourselves to Jesus. When we put our faith in him, it's both as Savior from our sins, the effect of our sins, but it's also as Lord, the one who now rules this new life we have in him. This means we are no longer in charge of our life, he is. That we are no longer, we no longer try to be in control of our life because he is. And when we have allowed Jesus to be in control and in charge of this new life in him, we are then able to submit to our spouse. And here's why. Before putting our faith in Jesus, we either depended on ourselves or we looked to others to meet our wants our needs, and our desires. Living was all about pleasing ourselves. Trusting Jesus and submitting ourselves to him means we know he has already satisfied our greatest need, a restored relationship with God. And because he is in control and he is good, we trust that he will continue to meet all of our needs. 
We no longer have to depend on ourselves or others, including our spouses, to meet our needs. However, God uses the marriage relationship in a unique way to also meet our needs, our wants, and our desires. Andy Stanley describes it this way. Often when we come into a marriage relationship, we each bring our eye with us. Our eye means we bring our wants, needs, and desires to the marriage. And at some point in that marriage, many times right after we walk down the aisle, our wants, needs, and desires turn into expectations that we place on our spouse. So when our spouse meets our wants, needs, and desires, which have become expectations, we are no longer grateful because all they've done is met an expectation. Worse, when they don't meet our expectations, we get disappointed and sometimes even frustrated or angry. Over time, this lack of gratitude and frustration due to unmet expectations damage the relationship. And after a while, that relationship begins to break down. The marriage becomes a cycle of two eyes living for their own wants, needs, and desires. But when we know and trust that Jesus has already met our greatest need and we submit to one another, when our marriage is about mutual submission, everything changes. Submitting to our spouse means we discover what their wants, needs, and desires are, and we put those before our own. Submitting to one another refocuses our attention away from our wants, needs, and desires to discovering and fulfilling the wants, needs, and desires of our spouse. And we do this regardless of whether or not our spouse meets our wants, needs, and desires. When we live in this rhythm in our marriage, this is where we discover the intimacy that we often long for. As each spouse does this for one another, gratitude deepens, trust deepens, and you become the we rather than the two eyes. Then Paul summarizes this section by recognizing that each spouse is different in how their biggest need is met, how each feels valued. Ephesians 5, 33 again. However, let each one of you, he's speaking to husbands, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husbands. Wives feel valued when they're loved. David Ann Wilson described this love not so much as emotion, but as being cherished by their husbands. Here are some ways that wives feel cherished. Spending quality time with her. Now, quality time, guys, is not defined as time that you're watching a TV program together. It means having meaningful conversations, having dialogues. More than, how was your day at work, honey? It was fine. It's talking with one another. It's listening to one another. 
And, and here's the other one, and I'll handle this one delicately. It's being touched without the intention that it leads to something else. Husbands feel valued when they are respected. The Wilsons describe respect as being cheered by their wives. Here are some ways that husbands feel cheered. Take notice of what he does in a positive way. Speak life to him. Like affirm who he is. And then also to let him know that he is desired. When husbands cherish their wives and wives cherish their husbands, marriages are given the fuel to flourish the way God intended. Next Paul talks about another relationship, children and parents. Ephesians 6, 1-4, he says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Our, our new life in Jesus doesn't just affect us, it affects our children as well. I love last Sunday that we were able to celebrate with five families who committed to raise their children to know Jesus. And there's a part that parents play in this, and there's a part our children play as well. For those of us who are parents and have put our faith in Jesus, our number one priority is for our children to know who Jesus is and what he's done for them so that one day they can make that decision to follow Jesus. This is what the last part of this section means in the, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And So how do we do this? Through our example and through our words. First, through our example how we live this new life in Jesus, what we do matters so much more than what we say. If our actions don't match our words, then our children will be confused when they're younger and they'll be disillusioned when they're older. If our actions don't align with what we say we believe, then our children will have a hard time understanding what it means to put their faith in Jesus. If our actions don't align with how we tell our children to live, then at some point they'll just stop listening and do things their way. But it's also as important to talk to our children about Jesus. As much as we love what happens with our anchor kids programming on Sundays, even if you came every Sunday at most, it's 52 hours in a year. Out of 5,900 hours in a year that children are typically awake. If Sundays are the only time that kids hear about Jesus, we're missing out on an incredible opportunity to share with them about the one who has done so much for us. We need to look for opportunities in each day to help our children see Jesus. Even if you are uncomfortable with this because you don't think you know all of the answers, which is okay because nobody knows all of the answers. If nothing else, you can talk to your children about the difference that Jesus has made in your life and continues to make in your life. Children, 
are to obey and honor their parents. When our children are young, they need to learn what it means to obey. If not, they will try to live as if the world revolves around them. And if we allow them to continue to disobey, we are setting our children up for failure and disappointment. They will soon discover, and most likely the hard way, that everything does not revolve around them. There is structure and order in things. God didn't design us to live for ourselves, to do whatever we want, whenever we want. However, this is the very message we send our children when we allow them to disobey us. It's hard being a parent. It's by far the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But it's also very rewarding. God doesn't call us to be perfect parents. He doesn't call us to have perfect children. But he does call us to raise children who will know him as we know him and love him as we love him. Ask God to help you in this. Invest in learning more about this. Find others to encourage and to pour in to your kids through your ups and downs. Trust that God will be with you in all that you say and do. And, and then the final part of this passage, Paul addresses another specific relationship. And on the surface, what he writes next doesn't seem to apply to us today. He's going to address a relationship between what he calls bond servants, which basically is another word to say a slave and a master. While slavery, while slavery has been banned in this country, unfortunately slavery is just as alive in the world today, even in the underground parts of our country. There have been a lot, there has been a lot of misunderstanding regarding this next section from critiques that Paul doesn't challenge the evils of slavery and since he doesn't speak out against it, it must be okay, to the blatant misuse of this passage to justify slavery. And neither is right. What Paul writes here actually undermines slavery because it strips away what slavery is all about. Power and control. Slavery exists because the strong take advantage of the weak. Those in power abuse that power to control those with little or no power. And this is what he writes. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this, is, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Paul refers to who is really 
in control, who really has power. God. Those bondservants who heard this were reminded that the person that they are really serving is Jesus and that their masters are also under the authority and control of Jesus. Masters are under the authority and control of Jesus and are to treat their slaves like Jesus would treat them, as brothers and sisters with love and compassion. Jesus doesn't just redefine the relationship, he reorients the heart. Both of the slave and the master, this transformation happens from the inside out. And as a consequence, this relationship is forever changed. This was revolutionary in Paul's time, and this began to dismantle the horrible institution slavery. Well, this doesn't even come close. Like, how do you draw a parallel to what most of us in this room experience today? And, and in some ways, I think this really does a disservice to what slavery really is, the horrible institution that it is. But the closest relationship that you can even remotely draw a line to is our modern-day employee-employer relationship. And for many of us working for many of us, most of our waking moments are spent working. And some of us love what we do, and some of us tolerate what we do, and some of us just don't like what we do. But what would happen if we viewed our work, regardless of the work that we do, as if we were doing it for God? What if we started to view what we did for a living as our calling from God? that we are there for His purpose? What if we saw the work we do as part of His plan to restore what sin has broken? For those who are employers who, who supervise others, what if you saw those that you supervise or oversee as Jesus does? What if we treated them like Jesus would treat them? Our new life in Jesus offers us the opportunity to work this way because of Jesus our identity isn't tied to what we do rather whether we are successful or how much we produce we are his he has freed us to not find our source of satisfaction in our work we are fully and completely satisfied in him it's easy to walk away from this kind of a message with a to-do list like, this is, I just got to try harder. But don't miss the foundation of this. All of this happens only because of the fact that we have submitted ourselves to Jesus. We, he is the center of our life. He is the one who allows us to be able to live in these close relationships. If you've not yet made that decision, would like to talk about what that decision means, man, I'd love to talk to you about that. There's a connect card in the seat in front of you that you could fill out and just, hey, I want to know more about what this means to follow Jesus. We'd love to have that conversation with you. And how Jesus does so much more than just give us a free ticket to heaven. He reshapes how we can live and how we can relate to one another in our marriages and in our, in, in our relationships with our kids and our parents and, and even in our workplace. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the 
transforming work that you do for us through Jesus. And, and God, I would just ask that you would help us to continue to surrender and submit to you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.